Great to have you with us tonight. Great to hear all the little, little chatter there, and um, and thank you for the, a little bit of a glimpse into into how the how the camp went. Sounds sounds like it was pretty pretty special. Yeah, there are those of us who are a little bit older, wouldn't quite fit into youth group nowadays, but we remember similar camps and just having some really really special times as well. So uh, school goes back tomorrow. It is tomorrow ish. Okay. Over this next week, sorry, let me grab my water here. Um, well, I guess um, if you're like, I was the um, um, the the mid-year break kind of kind of signals things are changing, signals that oh, this is the this is the serious end of the year. This is the yeah, I really probably have to listen up because there's going to be exams at the end of term three and exams at the end of term four and um, knuckle down and, um, yeah, really get into this. And I was thinking this morning about one of the best study groups I've ever been in. It was actually actually with um, um, Ewan Cummings and uh, Barry Ward. And we, um, at the Bible College of Victoria, We'd, we'd often have in a particular subject like about 11 topic areas and three essays to write in sort of, you know, two or three hours, whatever it was, it was a while ago. But, um, but all of a sudden, about three 40-minute essays. And, and in, you know, those, those times, I guess, we um, kind of shared our notes. Each of us would kind of take a, about three, three, four topics each and we'd share our notes and kind of go over them together as a very, very effective study group. And um, I guess there's a, there's a sense in which um, the best tutorial you could ever sit in, the best tute group, the best study group you could ever have would be one with Jesus, right? And there's a, there's a sense in which that's what we're looking at in, in Mark chapter 13, where we are today. Um, just like a study group is kind of cramming information in because there's a big exam coming, so it was for these guys. Actually, we read in... In Acts chapter chapter four, about a about a moment where where Peter and John they just had a a pretty remarkable day. Uh, they'd been going up to the temple as they normally did. A beggar uh, was was there. He was lame, and he was he was begging at the beautiful beautiful gate there. And and they said, "Well, we actually don't have silver, don't have gold, but tell you what, we do have. In the name of Jesus, walk." And, and a great miracle was done that day. He was actually able to able to walk, and and they attributed the power that actually healed him and enabled him to walk as the same sort of power that actually raised Jesus Christ from the dead, which the Sadducees, who didn't believe in that, were kind of upset about. It meant that um, Peter and, and John were arrested. And that night, because it was late, they were locked up in jail. And I guess Scripture doesn't actually tell us about the conversation in the cell. But it doesn't take a whole lot of imagination, does it, to, to, to pick that they probably were, were thinking to themselves, what are we going to say tomorrow? We're probably going to be dragged before the rulers and so forth. What are we going to say? Like, did, is, is this the way it's supposed to be? Is this normal? Is this really the way it's supposed to be? What are we going to say? They had an exam. They were about to sit a really intensive exam. But I tell you, the one thing that they did know in that jail cell was that they had been prepared. 
At some point or another, they possibly could have thought, what defense will we, will we give for the things that just took place today? And maybe they cast their minds back to the very passage that we're going to look at today in Mark chapter 13, a conversation that took place with Jesus on the Mount of Olives. We sometimes call this the Olivet Discourse, a conversation in which Jesus warned the disciples about the very thing that they were experiencing. It warned them about trouble coming your way. And when it does, here's here's what, what you need to do. And so that's the passage we're going to look at tonight. It's found in Mark chapter 13, and, and it's, it's actually a, it's a pretty, it's a lot to get your head around, and so we're going to break it up into three weeks. Um, I'm going to, to share this week. Now, next Sunday night, we, we actually have our hot topics, um, signs, wonders, and, and counterfeits. Um, and so if you want to pick up part two of this, you either have to come to the Hurstbridge campus in the morning, the Eltham campus in the morning, or pick it up on our podcast. That's either, either way, there are ways in which you can get part two, and then part three will be in a couple of weeks' time in our, our evening service, um, as per usual. But it's a big chapter, it's a big passage, and there's a lot to get your head around, and let me see if I can help you through just the first section tonight. We're just going to go through the first 13 verses. But basically, the the disciples were facing a big exam. They were prepared because of this very conversation that they'd had with with Jesus. Let me read it to you. Mark chapter 13, verses 1 to... We'll just read verses 1 to 13 for now. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these Great buildings, replied Jesus. Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time. For it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. That's kind of a bit of a sobering passage, isn't it? But it really does speak to us today. It's... It's very, you know, we can, when we open Scripture, 
we can sometimes um, uh, insert our own intonation, our own tone, and sometimes we hear things that, well, may not be entirely accurate. The tone that I, I really believe that would have been that of Jesus there on the Mount of Olives would have been of pastoral concern. He knows these things are going to take place, and he is cautioning them and warning them and preparing his disciples. This is going to be tough. Here he is explaining to his disciples just how it is going to play out, but giving them as much information as he can. Firstly, I, I guess you notice it all started out with a prophecy. They were, they were walking, walking around this magnificent building, and I don't know what the nicest building you've ever seen is, but, but it was with some disbelief that, that they, they heard Jesus prophesy, this is all going to be torn down. I mean, it must have been amazing. It was a magnificent building. Everywhere in Jerusalem, you could see this. Big gold plates shone in the sun. It was made with the very, very best, highest grade white marble. Uh, to give you an idea, I've said for those of you who have seen or know what the Parthenon on the Acropolis is in Athens, the temple made that look like a garden shed. I mean, the temple was absolutely magnificent, and, and it was... A, incredible to think that it could be destroyed. Like, no way, right? No way. And yet that's exactly what Jesus said. Now, in the context of that, they were in the temple at the time. In the, in the context, the disciples were probably, did he just say that? Did he just say that? Did he say that all these stones will be ripped out? Wow. So realizing it's probably not the best place to have that discussion, they leave the temple area and they go outside Jerusalem up onto the Mount of Olives where there is a magnificent view of the temple. They'd be looking just across the Kidron Valley to the temple itself. And, and that's when Peter, James, John and Andrew decide, let's ask him about this. Like, this is crazy. And so they, they just privately, they say, hey, Jesus, when are these things going to happen? And what will be the signs that we should look for? Two questions. When will these things happen and what will be the signs? And really, everything else that, that we see in chapter 13 is Jesus answering those two questions. The when and, and what are going to be the signs. That's, that's what we see. But firstly, he starts really with this caution. He wants to caution or, or issue a warning to the disciples and, and just say, hey, now be very careful here. He will get to the when and, and the signs of what to look for. In particular, one really big sign. It's not this passage. It's not today. That's next week. He will get to that. But right now, it's a little bit of a caution, a warning about not to be deceived. He says, be careful. Don't be deceived in these first verses. And then he warns them particularly about, about a very real danger that is coming against them. Persecution, opposition is very, very real. Thus, all the more important that you do not get deceived. And so this is Jesus cautioning the disciples about things to come. This first, first part here, the first part of the caution, he's essentially saying, be careful, don't be deceived. Look at the verses Verses here, Jesus says, Blepo, watch out, and he repeats that in verse 9, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, 
and will deceive many. And actually, we, we know that that's exactly what happened in, in those days. There were many coming and saying, I am the Messiah. And Jesus is saying, no, they're not. I am the Messiah. Don't believe these other pretenders that, that come along. Don't be deceived by them. When you hear of wars and rumours of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. Jesus is essentially saying here to the disciples that the disintegration of society and, and even natural disasters, natural calamities, these things are not the end of the world themselves but the birth pains, the signs that, that things are getting worse. But interestingly, also Jesus says this is the new normal. Now, we need, to, we need to be careful here. God is not saying it's okay. He's not saying, you know, um, there will be wars and, and famines and all sorts of stuff and it's good. No, it's not okay. But it is the new norm and you need to get used to it. Don't be alarmed when these things happen. You know, that, that, that sort of picture of, of uh, somebody walking down the street, a, a Christian or just a doomsdayer with a big sandwich board saying, the end is near sort of thing. You, you've probably seen a cartoon at least if you haven't seen that themselves. Some people actually live their lives like that. The end is near. And I think Jesus, Jesus would say, no, actually these things are normal. Just like somebody who was about to give birth to a baby has to go through birth pains. These are the birth pains. This is not the end itself. Don't be alarmed. Don't be deceived. This is the new norm. It's not okay, but it is what it is. And so Jesus is warning the disciples about this. Don't let external appearances deceive you. Don't be led by, by this person on the internet or that person on the internet or, or this person at school or that theory at university or whatever it might be. Don't be alarmed by that. Don't be deceived by these things. These are birth pains and they're necessary for what it is that is, that is coming. We just celebrated um, with Joel uh, yesterday, our youngest, his 22nd birthday. And we're reminiscing a little bit about his actual birthday. Um, we were at a wedding. I was a best man at a, at a friend's wedding. And, um, and there we were sitting around this big, big round table. And, you know, Bron and I were together. We didn't have the other kids with us. But, but, but Bron, was, Bron was kind of due. It was around this time. And she happened to be sitting next to a friend of ours at the wedding who was a midwife. And she had one hand on Bron's belly and feeling the contractions and she was getting so excited. She was, oh, it's another one. And she's watching, you know, the, her watch there. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it's coming. And Bron is sitting there. No, it's not. Not at a wedding. No, no way. And well, I think the midwife friend of ours was looking forward to a delivery somewhere between the main meal and dessert. Bron, for her part, was, it's not happening. It's not happening. No, I've got a plan. I've got a birth plan here. And this is the way it's going to happen. But those contractions, those, those were birth pains. That was not Joel arriving, not yet. I guess we're all sitting around the table, is Joel going to arrive? Well, because we didn't know it was Joel then. We didn't know if it was Joel or Jill or Judy or John. Anyway, we knew it was a J. But um, uh, they were just the birth pains. 
Now, sometimes we can be alarmed. We can see this happening, wars and rumours of wars and one kingdom against another and all of these crazy things. What is going wrong with the world? And we can kind of think, is this supposed to happen? Is this normal? Is this the way it's supposed to be? It can be very, very alarming. And in the midst of that, Jesus says, don't be deceived. These are just the birth pains. This is not the end. It's important not to be deceived. In, in this matter, I, I would say sometimes we talk in church circles about this thing called spiritual warfare, just that, that there is this reality of a spiritual realm. There are, there are powers of darkness that are, that are battling against us. Nobody can really put a percentage on it, but if I had to guess, I would say I, my guess is at least 90% of all spiritual warfare is deception. It is a battle of the mind. It is the deceiver, the enemy, the liar, the father of lies coming against us again and again and again, attacking our belief system, attacking everything that we believe. We, we, we believe many, many more things than we actually know. And the enemy comes against us time and time again, attacking us and trying to deceive us if it was possible, which will come up a, again a little bit later. But Jesus is warning very, very... Uh, giving a very strong warning here, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived by the wicked, evil, not okay things that are happening in this world. Do not be deceived by that. They are birth pains and they are necessary. They are leading up to something, but, but they have, that has not yet come. And then he goes on and he says, so do not be, de- be careful, do not be deceived, especially in the midst of opposition. And, and now he starts to spell out some of the opposition, some of the things that are going to come our way that potentially could knock us off our perch, just just sap us of all confidence, like a soccer punch, just take the wind out of us and, this is, seriously, Jesus, is this the way it's supposed to be? And it can get tough in the Christian life. This opposition, though, as Jesus is describing, is going to come to, to each of us. It's quite alarming, actually. He says, You must be on your guard. You must watch. There it is, that word again. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in synagogues on account of me. You'll stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them, and the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, don't worry beforehand about what you're going to say. Just say what he has given you at the time, for it is not you speaking but the Holy Spirit. And then another alarming part, brother, will betray brother to death, a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Very alarming. This, this is the sort of opposition that is going to come our way. And Jesus says, be careful, don't be deceived when, when this comes. Two types of opposition, essentially. One is from authorities, rulers, governors, and, and, and so forth. And that, I guess, we probably might expect. Another type of opposition we might not expect will be from family. Like, seriously? How could that happen? Would that really happen? Yet Jesus warns opposition will come from these two sources, the one that you expect, authorities and rulers and so forth, but also, potentially, even family. That's how bad things will get. But don't be deceived and don't be alarmed. This this must happen. From authorities in, in verse 10, really, uh, because of the context, and this is like a little bit of a, a tricky thing in the, in the text, but it probably should, should read something like, um, and the gospel must first be preached 
before all officials and nations before the end will come. That would be a, a perhaps a clearer reading of this, and some translations pick that up and, and some don't. There's a sense in which this, this feels like a prophecy, that the end won't come until the gospel is preached in all nations. And, and there is a thing in, in hermeneutics, and particularly with regards to prophecy, called a double fulfillment. And what it is is, is this. We might be standing here, or we might be looking north or or northeast towards the Yarra Ranges, and we might say, if I look ahead there, there is a, that's a mountain range, and I'll think of it as a mountain range. But then if we were to drive, drive over to see it closer, we'd drive up to it and we'd approach it, and then just because of the shades and the colours, we actually might think, I think there's a second set of mountains behind the first set. And then we get up to the top and we look down to a valley, but then we see, indeed, there is. There's a second set of mountains and maybe even a third. And, and what, from a distance, looks like a mountain range actually has a couple of layers to it. And prophecy, biblical prophecy, can be a little bit the same. There can be a sense in which, from the perspective of the early church, from the Christians in this first century, from their perspective, this is exactly how it is. They, they are looking and say, well, the... You know, the gospel must be preached to all nations. Now, from their perspective, all nations would be, oh, a little bit, a little bit more to the, oh, to, the, to the east, and that would be Rome. And I don't know, is there anything beyond Rome? Oh, maybe a little bit. Rome's a big place. But, but, but basically, that covers it. That's, that's the nations. That's the world. And in their time, in that actual time, before the fall of the temple in AD 70, that's exactly what happened. And so there is a sense of double fulfillment here. Remember, Jesus is warning them about, the question was, when will the temple be destroyed? When will all these stones be pulled down? And the question was, the when and what are the signs? And Jesus is about to answer that. But the caution is in that context. And the caution is, okay, firstly, before we get to that, just let me, let me say, don't be deceived. There will be much opposition that's going to come your way. And in the midst of that, the gospel needs to be preached to all nations. From their perspective, in one sense, prior to AD 70, that was fulfilled. But then like, like double fulfillment, there's a sense in which the prophecy also speaks to Christians today and to the church today as well. Jesus will also talk about his ultimate return, his triumphal coming. He talks about that later in the passage. That's not where we are today, but, but he talks about that as well. And this same statement here that the gospel must first be preached to, to all nations and rulers before the end will come applies not just to that first century Christians, but to the church today as well. There is a sense in which we've got a task to do as well in the midst of the persecution and the opposition that we face. I think the, the bottom line here is there will always be opposition and people need to know what they're opposing. There will always be opposition against the church and God's people and people need to know who it is that they are actually opposing. And so, so mission actually, it, it looks a little bit like, why is this statement about mission sitting in the, in, in the middle, in this context of, of much persecution and opposition to the church? That's exactly where it belongs. Because the question, is it not, that comes with all persecution and all suffering and all challenge and difficulty in life, isn't the question, but why God and, and why aren't you coming back and why is this going on for so long? 
And right into the middle there, Jesus drops this little clue about mission and reaching out to people so that they know who it is that they are opposing. God, God is not slow in answering our prayers and coming again, not as some would understand it, but he is patient. He is patient so that he can give everybody a chance to believe, we read in First Peter. So this had relevance, yes, to the first century Christians, but also to the church today. I remember on one, one occasion I used to work for an organization called Caleb Ministries. We did leadership training and so forth. We, um, we were just supported by, we, we call it faith support. That is, you know, basically people would make, you know, lots of little gifts and contributions towards our salary. And I was speaking at a church where a friend of mine, Gary, had said, come and speak at our church, Stuart. And who knows, maybe, maybe some folk will want to support you afterwards. And I said, oh, okay. Now, I had a particular passage to preach on and so forth. But just before the service, he said, remember to tell them what it is that you do. I said, sure. What, anything in particular? He said, yeah, tell them what are you passionate about? What would you die for? And with that, he turned and he disappeared. And I sort of thought, great. Ah, uh, wow. And I sat down and I thought, that's a horrible question to ask me just before I get up to speak. Like, what am I most passionate about? What, what would I die for? And it was a question that would really change the, the, the course of, of, of the next number of years for us. Because as I sat down, you know what I realized? As important as leadership training is, it's not the most important thing to me. And I sat down in that chair and I, I said, oh, God, Gary is asking me to speak from the heart, but what's really on my heart? Like, what, what am I passionate about? What would I die for? I don't know me like you know me. What is it? And I sat there in almost panic mode and then, you know, the, the last song finished and, and unfortunately it was a shorter worship time than I might have wanted. I didn't have much preparation. All of a sudden I'm up. And just as I was about to speak, God gave me the words and it was very, very simple that people all over the world in places and situations where they haven't had the opportunity that you and I have had to know about the love of God, that they would have that chance, they'd have that opportunity. Because if somebody wanted to reject God, let them do it wholeheartedly. Let them not simply reject him out of ignorance. It just came like that, and it was kind of right there, and I thought, it's true. It's what I'm really passionate about. That is what I'm really passionate about. And I do believe that the church is, is the answer to that. It is really, really interesting right here in the midst of this, this little, this little passage about mission, right in the midst of this, this warning, this caution about opposition, it's almost like Jesus saying, there is purpose in pain. There is purpose in difficulty. God is, is not some, some evil God that just likes to play with you and mess with you and leave you in your pain and your suffering and your difficulty because, ha-ha, you'll learn something from this. There's purpose. There's meaning in the midst of it all. God is accomplishing something far greater than our pain. He is reaching out to the lost because it's his passion that none, none would be lost, that none would reject him out of sheer ignorance. Um, back in my police force days, I, I would do foot patrol around the city, about 18 months of it, and I had many different, different partners that I'd do foot patrol with in those days, but there was one guy I got to know really well. He'd become a very close friend of mine. His name was Andrew. I think I have at some point told you a little bit about, about this story. Uh, frankly, foot patrol with Andrew was painful. 
uh, just his background and so forth. For him, walking around the city streets was a study of every woman's anatomy. And he felt obliged to tell me about what was going through his, his unfiltered mind. And, and it was really tough. I really didn't enjoy it. Would, I would pray to try and change the topic, try and get him to talk about something else. I'd try and, and, and really, it was just, sometimes it was hard to not finish the day after a foot patrol and not just feel grubby with, I've had to listen to him all day and, and, his, and his ponderings and lustful thoughts and so forth. And it's so demeaning and I really didn't enjoy it. But, you know, I developed a friendship with him and I tried to be used of God in his life and so forth. And eventually I, we became close enough. I even invited him along with a few other police mates to, to our wedding. I decided actually the police would probably make good drivers for the cars, although I didn't pick Andrew for that. Anyway, he came to the wedding and he was blown away by it because my best man and his wife at the wedding, just, they wanted to sing a song and as they sang the song, um, Dave just choked up in the middle of it as the deer pants for the water. It's a, oh, it comes, I think Moses wrote it. Um, but, uh, you know, it's an oldie but a goodie. But as, as Dave was singing that, he just choked up and he couldn't get it through. And, and Andrew sat there thinking, I don't have anyone in my life that would cry as they sang a song to me. And my, like, like that just stunned him. I, he just said, this is real. Stuart has something that's real. Anyway, we lost contact. I left the police force. I went off to Bible college. And one day I got a call at Bible college to up to the administration block. This is before mobile phones were invented. We were still using Morse code back then. And so I went up to the administration block. No, not really. But it was a landline. And, and they said, somebody wants to talk to you. I said, well, who is it? I don't know. And so I took this phone call and they said, is Stuart Hunt? Yes. Were you once a policeman? Yes. <laughs> you know, you're studying Bible college to be a pastor. Yes. Do you know a person by the name of Andrew? Yes. Whoa. Well, he's become a Christian, and he wanted to, he wanted to make contact with you. Uh, seriously? Because I had three guys on my prayer list, and I decided one day that the prayer list was a bit long, and I dropped Andrew off, so I really hadn't held up much hope. So I said, sorry, hey, sometimes. But, um, <laughs> of course, you're on my prayer list. But... <laughs> Anyway, I said, seriously, you became a Christian? He said, yeah, 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 yeah. He went through a really, really tough time. He had to leave the police force. His, his marriage was going through a difficult time. And, and anyway, um, one thing led to another. A church reached out to him. He became a Christian. And as he told his story, he said, yeah, there was this guy in the police force. We used to, we used to walk around, you know, we we're often on foot patrol together. And man, did I give him a hard time. But, but anyway, he invited me to his wedding. And then he went off to a monastery to be a monk or something. And I don't know where. You know, do you reckon you could find him? And she was saying, well, give me a couple of more clues. And she finally tracked me down to the Bible College of Victoria. And I couldn't believe it. I got in, got in touch with him, and, and he was just so thankful for all of those days. And I thought, wow, all of those painful foot patrols, all of those, oh, I'm not with Andrew, am I? All of those days that I really did not want to work with the guy, all of that pain, all of that difficulty, there was purpose and there was meaning in it because God was using that. God was using that to work in his life and to start something that would ultimately lead him coming into the family of God. Isn't that awesome?
God wants to use your pain as well. He wants to use the difficulties and the challenges. And yes, even the broken relationships and the relationships in your life that just aren't easy and you want to give up and you want to drop people off your prayer list. He wants to use each of those for his purposes. There's purpose in pain. There's a reason why he hasn't come back yet. There's a reason why from our perspective, he's delaying in his perspective, perfect time. A day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day unto the Lord. He's working out his purposes and we're we're a part of that. And one of the purposes of pain and suffering and difficulty and challenge and and just the, the ordinary stuff that's going on in your life and my life, God is accomplishing his purposes. He is winning people to himself and he wants to use you in the midst of that. And when you sort of think like, oh, but I don't even know what to say. Have I ever said anything intelligent to a non-Christian before? You know, because we the perfect answers, the really good answers, don't they come about 24, 48 hours after a question? Oh, that's what I should have said. They've gone. I don't know if I'll ever get that conversation again. And, and Jesus says, it's okay, just trust me. I will give you the words that you need to say when you need to say it. And sometimes you need to learn to go a little bit easy on yourself in your personal evangelism and and realize if I didn't have the words to say, maybe it wasn't time. Maybe that was not the time. But the time will come and God will give me the words. He promises the Holy Spirit will show me what to say when it is time. So opposition will come from authorities, but opposition can also come from the, the places you least expect it even as close as family itself. This is really alarming. It's talking about brothers against brothers and children against parents. And and then this most alarming statement, everyone will hate you because of me. Seriously? That's what we've signed up for? Yes. Opposition can come from the, the most surprising places. And I don't know what to say to you about this, except it's true and it's tough. And it may actually make you ask yourself at one point or another, who is my real family? Some point you will have to be able to answer that question. Hopefully it includes all of your earthly family. That's got to be a prayer. But in the meantime, you know that you belong to an eternal family, the family of God. And in there, you can actually find some some comfort. Here's the really interesting thing, though. Jesus says, when it comes from opposition from authorities and so forth, I will give you the words to say. Notice when he says, in terms of opposition from your family and those who are closest to you, he doesn't mention that. It's an argument from silence, but I wonder if perhaps the reason is that when it comes to family and the people that you know really, really close, it's not so much your words as it is a life well lived. They will watch your life closely. And as they do, that will be what God uses in the midst of opposition to win them over. Either way, Whether the opposition comes from rulers and authorities, whether the opposition comes from family and people that you you know that are really, really close to you, wherever the opposition comes from, the principle is the same. Jesus says, stand firm. Stand firm. Everyone will hate you in verse 13 because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. It's a guarantee. It's a promise by Jesus. You don't know what to do sometimes in the midst of opposition. You don't know what to do in the, in the midst of pain and suffering and difficult circumstances and 
Why? It doesn't even make sense. Is this really the way it's supposed to be? And Jesus says, don't be alarmed. Don't be deceived. Yes, these things must come. These are the birth pains, not the end itself, but the birth pains. This is normal. What you must do is stand firm. Stand firm. I'm going to invite the band to, to come up. They're going to play something in the background in a moment. And I want to finish just by, by flipping back to, to that moment in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John, they were just doing, if you think about it, they were just doing ministry. They were doing what they thought they were supposed to do. A, a man gets healed. Um, it's a great opportunity to teach the crowds. Good stuff happens. And they get arrested. And suddenly they're sitting in an exam and asking themselves, are we prepared for this? Are we prepared for this exam? And I guess it's possible that there are some of you sitting, sitting here tonight. We're going to have a moment where you can just come before God and, and realise that, yeah, he has prepared you for, for this exam. You're sitting in an exam at the moment and and you just feel ill-equipped, and you're wondering, what, what, what am I supposed to do here? What do I do, God? I, I can't believe it feels like I'm in jail. It feels like a Peter and John moment. I can't believe I'm in the situation that I'm in. What, this, is, this is crazy. But, but look what happens next. Let me read to you just a few verses. Acts chapter 4, verse 5. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law, they met in Jerusalem, and they, they get Peter and John to come in before them, and they began to question them. By what power, what name did you, did you do these, these things? Verse 8 says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember that Jesus had said, Don't worry what you're going to say when you're asked these questions, for the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. That's exactly what's happening here. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders, essentially there's only one name under heaven by which mankind can be saved. There's only one name that you need to know that is responsible for all of this. It's the name of Jesus. Jesus did this. This wasn't us. This was Jesus. And they testified boldly to that. Verse 13 says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. While they're released, they're given a bit of a beating. They're given a reminder of who's really boss here. They're released and they return back to the other believers and they offer up this amazing prayer. In the prayer, they say, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Acknowledging the sovereignty of God. And then in verse 29, they finish the prayer by saying, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Isn't that a beautiful prayer? They'd just been in an impossible situation. They'd been sitting an exam that they felt ill-equipped for. They didn't feel prepared for this. Like, what do we do? But filled with the Spirit of God, God shows them exactly what to do. In the midst of that, He gives them the words to say. They're able to boldly speak about Jesus Christ and then they offer up this prayer and they ask for more. They've just had a beating for their testimony about Jesus. They've just copped it. 
And they say, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. I would say that's, that's the moment they passed the exam. I would say that's the moment that they realised they were prepared for this moment. That that little tutorial in Acts 13 on the Mount of Olives that Jesus gave them, it, it's real. Just as Jesus predicted, it's all unfolded. God has prepared them and He's prepared you as well. You might feel like you're sitting in the exam right now and there you are in a jail cell and it's, I am ill-equipped for this. And God's promise to you is, I will give you the words. I'll tell you exactly what to say. There will be, for you, there will be a next day. There will be a new day. There will be a day where you do sit that exam and that... God who promised to never leave you nor forsake you, He's sitting the exam right there with you. Through His Spirit, He indwells you and He's going to give you the words to say. He wants to use your pain for a great purpose, a purpose that overshadows all that you're going through at the moment. That's what He wants to do. And so tonight, we're going to stand, we're going to sing in a moment, Brett's going to lead us and there's an opportunity to treat this like, like God's altar as it were and to and to stand up and to come forward. And if you're, you're just feeling a little bit tired and a little bit weary and you kind of think this standing alone is really tough, then come and stand with some other people. And together we'd love to pray with you and encourage you and just acknowledge and take the opportunity tonight to, to know that no exam that we ever sit, we ever sit alone. Jesus has prepared you and He's right there with you. So thanks, thanks, Brett. Let's, let's stand together.